I'm standing on a rough road under a network of power lines. Past the trees up the hill is a New York historic site called Olana. It was the home of a painter long ago. On the pole ahead is a small sign which reads, America's First Canvas. This is where the country's first homegrown art movement began. The Hudson River School was launched by a journey up here in the autumn of 1825. Thomas Cole was 24 when he took off from the city into the upstate wilderness, back when the wilderness was wild and the city was small. Moving by steamboat, carriage, and foot, he collected sketches that would become the paintings which announced the arrival of the Hudson River School. I heard about them growing up about an hour north, but I hadn't thought much of the paintings till a friend from North Carolina told me they'd been taught as examples of the sublime. Before the asphalt on this spot was laid, before the power lines were strung, painters stood overwhelmed by their awe at the unadorned landscape. They channeled their romanticism into the unfamiliar earth and swore they'd never forget the place, though I might. Theirs was a movement of traveler artists. They'd go around the world and into the wilderness to see and feel places that overwhelmed them. And they'd return home to paint paintings which overwhelmed their viewers in turn. A car pulls off onto the gravel shoulder. Shano Begay, Navajo painter and longtime hitchhiker, is the driver. We start by talking about why people hitchhiked on the reservation where he grew up. We have few roads. Back in the days when I was a teenager, 1970s, now there really was not much of a way of transportation, public or otherwise. So. Hitchhacking was a way to do it. Hitchhacking was a way to do it. And so I spent a lot of time on the road, you know, a lot of time on the road with the sun to my back. Was everybody you knew at that time out on the road hitchhiking, or were you sort of different in doing that? Well, people who were kind of social, you know, away from the sheep camp, you know, they were out doing that. And I was, you know, I never really hitchhiked in a group. I always hitchhiked solo, maybe one other person. But a lot of people seem to be doing it, huh? So out here on the reservation, you still see hitchhikers on the side of the road. And in this day of pandemic, it's hard to really pick up hitchhikers. Or to be picked up. It must be hard, unless you have an open bed in the back, people can sit. But no, away from here, I always can read people, because I was a hitchhiker. I can read people hitchhiking, and I can sense where their heart is at. So I know which one to pick up and which one I don't. I've been pretty good at, about doing that, so I've been always been picking up people, especially on my land, on my reservation, which is a huge piece of land. And then, of course, I'm picking up hitchhikers a lot of times just for a good conversation, a laugh or two, or just reconnection to the relationship. Is it sort of like a connection to your younger self as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You hear crazy stories on the road. You hear crazy stories, amazing stories on the road. So, yeah, you know, that's, that was how much it was. And a lot of times just in exchange for a good story. A good conversation. I'll give you a ride down 100 miles down the road. Were there any people who picked you up when you were young that influenced the direction of the art that you wanted to make? Yeah, a lot of times the, the painting I do are the painting on the road, the highway scenes, the hitchhiker scenes, the people in the truck scenes. So it's always a journey. It's always a journey. Even paintings with no trucks or people hitchhiking in it has a sense of that continuous moving. And were there any landscapes that you weren't expecting that surprised you when you were hitchhiking? Once I broke through my horizon that I grew up in, in the, my horizon, was, uh, everything was totally amazing. 
I do this day, I try to keep that fresh in life because I'm a painter. I try to keep that fresh, and I do keep it fresh. A landscape that continuously to amaze me, no matter how many times you see, experience, it's always a brand new one. It's always a brand new scene. So, yeah, the deserts of Nevada, the Mojave Desert, Death Valley, the Sierras, of course, the coast of California, the Redwoods, all of these things. It was outside of my realm of knowledge, geographical knowledge. Like, I knew the Grand Canyon. And I knew Monument Valley. I knew all those great landscapes there in northern Arizona, southern Utah. But these other landscapes came into picture. Yeah, of course, it really piqued my curiosity. Were there any of these places, whether they were beautiful or less beautiful, that you got stuck in? Uh, yeah. I got stuck a lot of time on the side of the road in the desert, in the heat. But you never lose faith. You never lose faith because you're on the road, you know. There's a stream of humanity on that ribbon of asphalt. So you do, you do expect that, you know. So you always hitchhike with a positive energy, with a good outlook, you know. If you're paranoid, if you're hesitant, of course, that's the energy you get back. But I was naive enough not to expect any short of just everything being good and brand new, wonderful, and it was. I've got picked up in all kinds of vehicles. You know, I've got picked up in RVs, middle-class, Brady Bunch type of family situations. I travel with them for sometimes for a couple of days, and they just treated me fantastically. I got picked up by Cadillacs. I got picked up by crazy people at Manchester Skate from. You know, I got picked up all kinds of ways. I got picked up on a motorcycle. I got picked up on a refurbished hippie counterculture school buses, converted school buses. Were there a lot of those going at the time? Oh, in the 70s, oh, yeah, it was always fantastic. Nobody asked me where I was going, where I was coming from. And I was just sitting in the bus the way back there, beautiful, not just the smell of patchouli and cannabis. Of course, I was too young, and I didn't want to experience so I, I, I didn't. I just took everything in vicariously, and it was beautiful. It took me to my first Grateful Dead concert. After that was many, 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 many more. So that was beautiful. That was a beautiful landscape. Do you think that your eye, the way that you look at the world, was changed by these rapidly shifting landscapes, all these people that you came in contact with? It can't be helped yeah. but that to happen. If I didn't, I don't think I would have a, develop, um, a sense of adventure. Always welcoming changes, a new stages in life, reinventing yourself. Not in a deep way, but you know, it's always welcoming the new. So that's pretty much how it, it helped me as a, as a painter. What did your parents think of you going off on these huge adventures around the country? I think they were pretty accepting because at the time they met one less mouth to feed because I was always out there on my own when I was 15 years old. 14 and a half, I hit the road. Stayed out all summer long, which I could hear and there. And of course, coming home at the end of the summer and getting back to the school. I read that the school that you went to was a pretty horrific boarding school. Yeah, that, that was after all of that. I only went to the horrific school to 8th grade, 7th grade. And then after that, of course, with the high school, everything was different. It was a lot more lenient. So it was on the cusp of that, you know, grade school and high school that I started hitchhiking all over the country. Actually, mostly on the western side of the Rocky Mountains. I was always out there. I love, I love traveling now. I just love traveling still, driving, where I'm sort of in control. Was there a shift where that happened, where you were like, I need more control in my travel? Well, I was, I was pretty much an introvert. I was kind of a lone ranger. I always had a job alone. kind of enjoyed that. Did the hitchhiking sort of force you to break out of that a little bit? Well, that was kind of my social setting. I meet people on the road. 
we have great conversation, maybe for an hour, maybe for a couple of hours, maybe for a couple of days. But it was always educational. It kind of widened my circle of uh, knowledge. But then you would sort of revert to the default of being alone in the landscape? Mm-hmm. Were you camping out while you were hitchhiking? Or? Well, at the very minimal. I maybe just had a knapsack. Knapsack and just uh, my amulet, my corn pollen, my ceremonial medicine, my protection. These are what I had. And that was it. I don't need no sleeping bag. I have really much of anything. Just maybe a change of clothing. And beyond that, I was all surviving and living on the kindness of strangers. Were the ritual protections that you took with you something that your family set you off with? You get presented that when you're a certain age, a young man. You go to a ritual, you go to the various passages of age, you go to certain ceremonies, and then you are presented with these powerful gifts from the elements. To this day, I keep it in my truck. Always a traveler's protection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, always a chant, a song in your heart and on your lips, on your tongue. Being out there on the, on the long, lonely highway of Nevada, standing out there waiting for a ride, singing at the top of your lungs into the void, into the beautiful sky, just singing. What sort of stuff would you sing? I, I always found myself singing Cotton Eye Joe out there. Traditional tribal songs. At what point did you stop hitchhiking? Somewhere in the mid late 70s, I just stopped because I didn't need to. I had a vehicle by then. Then it was my turn to pick up people. Yeah, the sort of karmic return. Yeah. I don't know if I would today. When I hitchhiked uh, in the Western States in the 1970s, early 70s, it was still the 60s, really, technically. So there was just always love, always that sense of peace and brotherhood and all of that in the air. I travel with that sentiment in my heart and my soul as well, knowing that every ride coming along will be good, it will be beautiful, will be blessed, and I will learn something from it. And I've never been in danger hitchhiking. I've been in a weird situation, but no, I've never been in danger. What were the weird situations? So getting picked up by nymphomaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. But I always kept my code of the road, my code of the hitchhiking, my ethics, my, my, my scruples. Do you think that the air of the 60s has cleared? Do you think that's gone now? And what do you think made that change? Well, it's a whole different factors, I believe. The whole political division... It's just more dangerous. It's just more desperate desperations. Desperados on the road. It's just a crazy time. I don't know. Maybe because of the media that we're more aware of this. Maybe it was always there. And we were not as, as aware of it. Because I didn't have a radio on the road. I didn't have no, no way of knowing what was going on in the rest of the world. And so therefore, I was walking in the bubble of safe, of the safe zone. And a bubble of tribal protection. Now I guess life's harder and yeah. you got to live harder. They do. They do. I wonder if the actual method of your painting was at all affected by, and not just what you paint, but like how you apply your brushstroke thing, if the sort of mindset that you found on the road, that sort of freedom right, right. affects your actual technique. Excuse me. Hi. Yeah. I was moving here. I was out on a reservation. I have a place at the, at a studio, 125 miles north, east of here, way out there. So I go out there once a week and I do some work. Totally off grid. Yeah. Good for you. So if I go out there. Definitely how it needs to go. Yeah. 
I go out there every weekend. If you want to join me sometime. Yeah, I just go out there and, and I do some physical work. Yeah. And of course I have a studio there. Cool. And I have power. I just don't have to bring a lot of water yet, so I just have a lot of water. Cool. That's super cool though. Yeah. The Austin bike where is that? I can't wait to get some dough. I want to buy a van and go paint on the road. I mean, the painting is really just to like facilitate me. I'm building these things. Basically, one artist facilitates. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll all work out. Well, I think it'll all work out. I'm just on the phone with the guy from New York. Right now? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I paused and started to talk to you. Oh, really? Oh, that's nice. No, no, no. It's no problem. Okay. Okay. It's for a national radio show. I'm hitchhiking. Oh, really? I bet you're every side, I'll get a seven year hitchhike all over. So, you're talking to him right now? Hmm? You're talking to him right now about your adventures? He's going to put on that and a, and a big pod thing on that. Hitchhiking. Cool. The hitchhiking journals. Yeah. So, that's super cool. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I got the right ride and it took me to like this hippie fest in the middle of the fucking woods, like a few weeks ago, that I ended up staying at for five days. They had like twiggling yoga teachers and like a painter. Well, is your real name Butterfly? No. So should I call you Butterfly? Or? Yeah, perfect. I hope it goes well with him. That's pretty cool. I'd be interested to find out what what comes of his. It's a book or what is he doing? Radio show? It will be a radio show. I'll be kind of like a, on the road soon. <laughs> All right. Good to see you. Good to see I'll you here. Yeah, be well. Keep the faith. Good time. Good time. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Shanto. <laughs> Sorry, sorry for that. No, no, no. Sounded like an important conversation. <laughs> I think we were talking about whether hitchhiking influenced your technique as a painter. Is that too far-fetched? I don't think so. I don't think it's far-fetched because my painting style is what I call my visual chance. What it is is uh, always uh, the style that I paint and the neo-impressionism that I employ set in my own reality. All of those little strokes and little dots and little curls and little lines I've always read that as a syllable to words, to the holy words of prayers that I sent out audibly and also visually. I've always had a relationship with that as a prayer, as a ceremony, as each painting done, another healing ceremony, protection ceremony, completed. So those lines are the lines that I was always aware of on the road, things that keep you totally cocoon in beauty, in hojo, in the beauty way away from anything that would do you harm. Not that I was always worried about that, not at all. It was always because you know that, you know you know that you have that, that you don't need to worry about it. You went through the whole beautiful process of hitchhiking successfully. I guess it also, just being somewhere and staring at an environment for however many hours while you wait for a ride to, right? That means impressions compile. Uh-huh, because all this standing on the side of the road there, that is your space. That is the space you occupy, then that is where all your hopes and everything is placed. So the land around you, where you stood, it's always seared into you somehow, somewhere. Side another side of the road, another shoulder of the road. There may be beautiful suns, beautiful wildflowers festooned, or you see old oil cans and bottles and stuff like that. So it's always a variation. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because there's a sort of tradition of painting the vastness of the desert or the flowers in the desert. But the fact that you include the bottles, the more realistic parts of it, too, then it, I think, must come from a real engagement with the world. 
Did you sketch while you were traveling, or did you do any art while on the road? When I can, yeah, when I can, it wasn't my primary goal. I didn't even have a camera, nothing. I just experienced. I was just seeing the landscape, just studying the landscape, just being there. I feel like there's also something special about leaving it sort of unrecorded, just leaving it for your memory. Right, just put it in the memory bank. If you try to say, oh my God, I gotta paint, I gotta draw, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, then you already build some sort of a barrier. Instead of just accepting it and just placing it beautifully in the, in the memory file. And they never fade. They don't fade. That's encouraging to hear. Yeah. And I think Hitchcock in the winter was brutal, but I did a lot of that as well. How did you manage for in terms of like sleeping or just waiting out? Well, again, nobody just leaves you out in the open somewhere. People always ask you if you have a place to stay or where you're going. And, you know, I would say 80% of the time that people just make sure that you're placed somewhere. They have to go out of their way to a campsite or something. But no, but I never stayed in a shelter, never stayed in um, anything like that. It was also always, like I said, crashing on converted school buses or... RVs or something like that, or sleeping out under the stars. A few times I did sleep under the culvert, under the highway. Yeah, I've done that too. Yeah. It's a loud spot to sleep. Exactly, exactly. In the winter, were you mostly like going to gas stations and asking people, are you going this way, that way? One could do that, but I never did that. And I always walk out on the road, and I know what, which way these people are traveling, and just being an image that is trusting and, you know, not all staggering or anything like that. You know, just exude the energy of innocence and all of that, a sense of adventure. People pick you up a lot more. I don't know if people still do that. Like I said, I don't know about what Hitchhiker World is today. But back in the 1970s, early 70s, that's when I put a lot of miles, a lot of miles, or pretty much all the western side of the Rocky Mountains. It's something I don't think I could do today. Although I do feel empathy for a lot of people I see on the road. When it's safe, I do pick people up. And I still do pick people up, especially on my own reservation. It's a necessary means of transportation out here. Places are far and few between. Comfort are far and few between. You just have to have a lot of patience and resilience. I'm moving out of the Hudson Valley now, heading into the Berkshires. The upstate woods are gone, but it's not so different here. The camping's still good. I can set up my tent without too much trouble. I've turned a little ways east to thread my way between the biggest highways through Massachusetts and Vermont. I'll go east for a minute so I can go further north, with an eye out for gentle woodland rides. <laughs> 